James uh, 4.6 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I, I just have a question. Do we sometimes find ourselves in opposition to God? Do we find ourselves at odds with God because we've put ourselves in a place where pride has puffed us up in such a way that we actually oppose God, oppose God? I mean, who would actually really want to oppose God? I mean, who would actually want to be in that place? I don't think anybody does, but somehow we accidentally slip into it. And that's the position that we put ourselves in with pride. And why pride is so dangerous is because it's in opposition to God. Now, the kind of pride I'm talking about, not talking about the kind of pride where, you know, every human being should have some sort of self-respect of themselves and, and respect for others. I'm not talking about that kind of pride. You know, that, that reminds me of when uh, I went to New York City with my wife, and we, uh, there's uh, Big Apple Tours. They're free tours given by New York City uh, natives. And these people who are so proud of where they live, and they want to tell you everything about it. And we were being guided through the city and walking on the streets. And my wife kept getting bumped, and she was walking like, oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. And, and doing it every time she had run into somebody. And finally, our guide turned around and said, you need to stop saying you're sorry. You are a human being, and you take up space just like every other person here in this city. And you got a little taste of what it was like to be a person who lives in a crowded space. I mean, you gotta, you got to know that you're a human being. You take up space like everybody else. That, that, that's, a, that's just a healthy self-respect about who you are and who God made you to be. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I, I think what I'm talking about, and, and, and I guess... Maybe foolish pride touches on it, and, and some of us maybe have uh, run into foolish pride and, and, and have been involved in foolish pride ourselves, like myself. Uh, you know, a couple of months ago, you know, I was going to show everybody that, you know, I'm not an old man and, and I can snowboard, and so I had my, my camera on my phone, and so I was filming myself as I was snowboarding down the mountain and, you know, wanting to show everybody, hey, I can do this, see? And then, and then I took a moment to turn the camera and look into it and say, yeah, that's how Pastor Shannon does it, and hit the pause button. My front edge catches the snow, and bam, right into the ground. And uh, I went to the hospital for that one. So there's an example of pride comes before the fall. And, and that's a bit of foolish pride right there. And, and, and maybe, maybe you heard about the kid uh, in the youth group. Uh, you know, the youth group was doing, uh, in this church, uh, uh, doing awards for kids and trying to encourage their spiritual growth, and, uh, and they gave an award to one kid for humility and said, You're, man, you, you just have great humility. And they, they get, put this little medal with a ribbon around his neck and uh, found out that the next week he wore it to school every day. Said, What's that around your neck? Ah, nothing, just my medal for humility. <laughs> so... Uh, Foolish pride is not exactly what I'm talking about, but it does touch on something that does begin to linger into this pride that begins to ascribe too much to ourselves. As Sue was saying, thinking too much of ourselves. You know, if you look at the beginning there in the garden uh, with the first man and first woman, uh, they're tempted with the sort of pride that God opposes. 
uh, the tempter used pride saying to Adam and Eve, he said, For God knows that when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from, from evil. And it was that part, you will be like God, that tempted them. What Adam and Eve were tempted to consider was taking worth, taking honor, taking adoration that really only belonged to God alone. It was the temptation to attribute too much to themselves. And this is one part of the pride that God opposes. Let me tell you about the other part. It's described in a story about a man named Naaman. He was a great general of a neighboring country in Syria. And uh, he was powerful, the highest next to the king. And what happened is that he, he contracted leprosy, an incurable disease, still incurable today. And he wanted a way to get rid of it because it was, it was just a thing that had made him hide away. People in his country would begin to shun him. He wasn't used to that. And uh, he had all this great honor. Found out from a servant girl that was in his house that, hey, there's a prophet in Israel, our neighboring country, that I think he can heal you of this. And he says, well, let's, let's do it. So he loads his whole entourage, chariots, horses, and they head into Israel. And they find Elisha, the prophet. And he gets there. Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. Doesn't even say hello. Sends out his servant. And, the servant already, and, and Elisha already knows why he's there. And the servant says, comes out to Naaman and says, uh, yeah, uh, the master says, uh, go down to the Jordan River, dip seven times, and you'll be healed. See ya. And, and that was it. And Naaman, he gets mad. He is offended. He's offended. He's so mad because, he, I mean, he's a great man. Doesn't this prophet know who he is? And, and he made, made this big trip to come down there. He should be honored that a great man like him came to be, require his services. And, 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 he, and he comes to a point where he storms off in a rebellious rage. And this man who wants to be healed of leprosy so bad that he, he, he refuses it. He rejects the instructions from God to be healed. Why would a man do that? Pride. Pride is what made him turn away from God's instructions to be healed. Now, he did have some good friends that finally calmed him down and convinced him, and he went through the, the motions that, that he was told, instructions, and he was healed. Good thing. But pride can be bold and brash, and pride can be subtle and sneaky, and it can get us either way. But the great danger of pride, no matter its form that it takes no matter what the form is, is that pride can keep you from your father's house. Pride can keep you from your father's house where there's healing, where there's good things, and where there's joy. Listen to the story that Jesus tells of two young men and their father. The younger one was tempted with pride that is bold and brash. The, the older one is tempted with a pride that is subtle and sneaky. The younger son, bold and brash, demands his inheritance from his father before he was even dead. I mean, that was unheard of in those days, just as it's unheard of today. I mean, no son would do that to their father. That's shameful to, to even say th- something like that. Or even, but this son goes through it and asks of it of his father. This story, by the way, is found in Luke 15. It's paired with two other parables about lost things. But these are, this is a parable about two lost sons. 
And, uh, and so, but here's the crazy thing. The extravagant father goes ahead and he divides his property. Now, again, think about this son and him getting himself to this point to actually say these words out loud to his father, I want my inheritance now. I mean, obviously, the regard that he holds himself in is much higher than the regard that he has for his own dad. Now, he gets the inheritance. He immediately cashes it in, sells the land, turns it into cash, and goes off to a far-off country where he squanders all the money. Now, some people ask, why did he go off to a far-off country? Well, hey, everybody in the neighborhood, everybody related to him was a part of the same Jewish community. And everybody knew that is a disgraceful thing to do to your father. And so everybody would have been talking. Everybody would have been looking at him funny. And, and so he just said, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Go away. I'm going to go far away from my father's house. I'm going to go away from my father's ways. And everybody else here. And so he leaves. Now the younger son loses all his money. And when hard times hit the, hit the country, he's, he, he is humbled by life's circumstances in such a way that uh, he takes a job that no good Jewish boy would ever take. He takes a job feeding pigs. And Jewish people, uh, they don't want to be near pigs because pigs are unclean. And uh, yet this kid does it. He does it. He takes a job. And while he's sitting there wishing that he could eat the food that the pigs are eating, he thinks of home. And as he thinks of home, he begins to think about the servants in his father's house. He begins, you know, kind of comparing jobs, you know. And as he kind of compares the job he's doing to maybe some of the jobs that his dad's servants do, he's like, you know what? My dad treats his servants well. They don't eat pig slop. They eat well. They get fed well. They're clothed well. They're, they have a nice place to rest and they have shelter. And what am I doing here? And so he, he decides that he should return. And even in this low moment, there's something that kind of sneaks in in this moment. He returns, he, he devises a plan, a scheme. And uh, he determines how he's going to be able to enter into his father's house. He's like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not, I know I'm not worthy to be a son. But you know what, I, I could be a servant. And, he, and it's interesting, he doesn't mention slave. I mean, that was an option. He could have gone back as a slave done work for nothing. But, but I think there's something in him that says, you know what, I, I, I want to make some sort of reparations for the damage I've done, for the loss I've caused. And so if I work for my father, I might be able to pay him back. And so even in this moment, I, I mean, there is something beautiful and good in this because true repentance really does want to make reparations. And so in his heart, there is some form of true, true repentance but I think there's also some little subtle form of pride that is sneaking in. And the subtle pride is telling him, you can earn your way back. You can earn your way back into your father's house. Well, the son comes home. He doesn't even see the sneaky part of pride. But when he comes to his father, his father sees his returning heart. He runs to him. He embraces him. He squeezes him. He gives him a kiss. And, his, and the son goes to his knees and he begins telling his scheme, his plan. I'm no longer worthy to call your son. And, and, and the father has none of it. He said, no, no. He sweeps away that silly plan and, and he, sees the, he sees it all, but he says, I'm restoring you to sonship, not servitude. And he takes him back, brings him back into the family. 
Now, after that, there's a party that begins. And, uh, and this party gets revved up. The music is going pretty loud. In fact, uh, some of the servants, they're off doing the other things. And, and the older son hears the music. And he comes back and asks. And, and, of course, this party represents heaven. This party in this parable represents a restoration with our father, a restoration of relationship. And so this party's going on. The older son comes back, and he hears uh, this party ask some questions, and the older son, he gets angry. He, gets, he is offended, and he is mad. And, uh, and, and there's kind of this wonder, why is he so mad? I mean, his brother's back. Didn't he care about his brother? And what happens is that the true character of the older son is revealed. You know, when his, his father comes to the older son and says, you know, what are you doing out here? Come into the party. Let's celebrate. You know, the, the son is out there with his arms crossed, huffing and puffing. And, no, I'm not going to do that. Not going in. Why? Well, you know, one of the reasons we're not told in this parable, but you know, this, the younger son's been restored to the family. <clears throat> so that means that, uh, you know, the property that was once divided, it's now going to be divided again. And this son is like, you, you, you embarrass, you shame this family, and now you're coming back, and you're going you're gonna to reduce my inheritance even more. He's mad. He's mad. And the father pleads with him, pleads with him, saying, would you please come in? You see, the older son, we find out that, that really he loved the father's stuff more than he loved the father. Just like the younger son once loved his father's stuff more than he loved the father. And the younger son went far away, but we understand that What's revealed here is that the older son, even though he was present, he was far from the father. They were both lost sons who wanted their father's stuff more than they wanted the father. And the father speaks the truth to the son, the older son, pleading with him. And the father explains, you know, all he has, all I have was was already yours. You could have asked for anything at any time. And the son is like, no, I've been slaving. I've been slaving for you. Never give me anything. Really? Slaving? Is that how you view your time on your father's house? Slaving. See, there's a pride that's wrapped around this older son's heart. The father says the younger brother was dead, but now he's alive. We've got to celebrate. Things have changed. Things are different. And the, and the older son stays outside, and the story is just left there. Jesus doesn't finish the story. We don't know what the older son chooses. It ends with the father pleading with him, saying, Come, we need to celebrate your son, your younger brother that was once dead is now alive. And we don't get the answer. We're left hanging. No, nobody ends a story that way. But Jesus did. Why did he do it? Because he wants us to think. He wants us to think. Are we far from the Father's house? Is our pride keeping us from the Father's house? 
You know, the younger son overcame his pride, admitting he was wrong, accepting his father's forgiveness, his undeserved gift. The younger son was once far away, but now has come to the father's house. But the older son, still standing outside, far away, not wanting to admit he was wrong. He wrestles with a rebellious pride. Will he overcome it? You know, pride, no matter its form, can keep you from the father's house. Whether it's rebellious, brash pride, or it's a subtle and sneaky pride. You may have not thought about pride sneaking up on you in that way. Uh, With our insecurities, our fears. I've I've talked with people before who've said, I'm not ready to give my life to the Lord yet because uh, I just feel like there's some areas in my life I need to straighten out and get cleaned up before I come to Jesus. And I just smile, and I'm, I'm kind of like, well, what, why, why do you say that? Well, because, you know, I've seen some of those other, you know, churchgoers, and they don't live like Christians, and I, I want to live like a, like a real, like what I really believe. And, and I said, well, so you're saying that um, you don't, you don't want to mess up ever? You don't want to fail? Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying you want to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus? Well, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> but isn't that sometimes what we maybe think and we say? And the truth is, is that we come to Jesus to get cleaned up, right? We can't clean ourselves up. Well, Jesus told another story specifically about pride. <coughs> and it went something like this. When someone invites you to a, a wedding feast, a big party, don't take the place of honor. Now, again, you've got to remember in, in his day, uh, you know, you reclined at the table, and so it was a big, long eating area, and there were seats that weren't as good as others. I mean, sometimes you were down here, and you were out of the conversation with the, with the, the host, and, and you wanted to be connected with what was going on. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, at Thanksgiving, when you get relegated to the, the kids' cardboard table in the garage, because there isn't enough room around the, the big table. Uh, it, it kind of felt like that in times. And so he says, when you get invited to a, a big party or a big wedding feast, don't, don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have also been invited. And the host who invited you both might say, hey, would you give this man your seat? And you'll be hum- humiliated having to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't ascribe too much worth, honor, and adoration to yourself, or else you might find... This proverb true, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. I know maybe, maybe we need to get to a little more familiar story to you. Maybe a story that's a little more today, a story that's a little more maybe everyday life. And maybe it goes something like this. It's been a long work week and you've come home at the end of the week and, and you are looking forward to a lovely night with your wife or your husband. And, uh, you know, you got babysitters arranged and, and, uh, and there's, there's a lovely dinner on the table that's been set. And, uh, and, and there are birds singing 
There's music playing somewhere. The candles have just, you know, make the room glow and everything is warm. And, and you're beginning to think that, hey, this is going to be a real special night, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and kids, if you don't, you can ask your mother. Um, and as you're talking with your wife or your husband, you're having a beautiful conversation. And then all of a sudden, uh, your, your mate says something to you, and it just hits you the wrong way. And, uh, you know, it, it could be anything, but, but it just kind of hits you, and it irks you. And, and you think to yourself, well, doesn't she or he know what I've been doing all day? And I know what I've been doing all week. I mean, it elicits that kind of response into you, pride. And all of a sudden, before you know it, something sharp comes out of your mouth, something critical or maybe even hateful comes out of your mouth. And, and, and then everything changes. The birds stop singing. It's like the candles go out and, and there's no more music playing and the room gets really cold real quick and you know what you did you know you said something hurtful but you just leave it and you don't say anything you go on eating pride and all of a sudden sentences become real short with one another as that that meal is over well I'll get the dishes no I'll get it okay and when you go to bed that night nothing special is going to happen and even on the ordinary nights, when you usually have a kiss goodnight and there's an arm or a leg flopping and touching each other, it's not that way on this night. No, you're on the edge of the bed, far apart as you can be. And there is silence on this night. And both of you are not asleep. You're not going to say anything. You know what you need to say, but you won't bring yourself to say it. Pride. And so there you, there you are, wide awake, and you think, well, I'm, I might as well do something if I'm awake. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll pray. Yeah, I'll do something spiritual. So you try to pray, but, but it's useless. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like it's just hitting the ceiling. It's, it's as if you knocked on heaven's door, and God opens up, and he says, oh, it's you. You don't need to talk to me. You need to talk to her. Slam. And that's what it feels like. And as the night goes on, she's crying, and you're not sleeping. And finally, before the alarm goes off in the morning, you say something like this, Honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said that. I was wrong to say that. That was was hateful. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to treat you bad. I want to treat you good. I love you. Will you forgive me? And lo and behold, she forgives you. Or vice versa, reverse the story, he forgives you. And then you've got to go and get your kids to a soccer game. Hmm. And as you're driving along, you ask yourself, what would make a man act that way? I mean, lose a beautiful night like that. Lose peaceful sleep. What would make a man act that way? What would make a woman act that way? Pride. Pride. Pride will do it. You know, there have been men and women, after long years of marriage, they come and share with a counselor, and it starts out something like this. I live with a man who is never wrong. Or I live with a woman who's never wrong. Do you know what it's like to live with a person like that? 
And as they talk with the counselor, they begin to unwind years of hurt, bitterness, and sorrow from that man or woman's heart. All that damage from pride. Don't tell me that pride isn't dangerous. I mean, I know we laugh about it sometimes, foolish pride. But pride can destroy. It can destroy relationships. You know, there, there are going to be a lot of people in hell because they can't admit that they're wrong. Isn't that, isn't that basically what it's all about? I mean, you admit that you're wrong before the Lord. They can't humble themselves. You know, church people have kind of have a reputation for, for being those people who always think they're right. They're those people who think that they're good or better than others. And maybe some churches deserve that thought. And maybe some churches are changing. I hope, I hope that's the case. But in reality, shouldn't it, be known, shouldn't it be known that people who follow Christ are the people who are wrong? Shouldn't, shouldn't it be known that Christ followers are those who admit they're bad and admit they're wrong? It's, I mean, it's Jesus who makes them, who makes us right with God. And it's Jesus that makes them good, right? Nothing they did for themselves, but everything done by Jesus, by grace, through faith. You know, in our world, and when I say world, I'm not just talking about church world. I'm talking about the world, United States, countries elsewhere. People everywhere like to divide people, categorize people into right and wrong, good or bad, religious, irreligious, moral or immoral. But you know that Jesus never divided up people that way? His gospel tells us that everyone is wrong, but everyone is loved, and everyone is called to change. There is no open-minded, closed-minded, liberal, conservative. Jesus says there are just two kinds of people, the humble and the proud. That's the only way Jesus divides people, the humble and the proud. And the gospel says the humble are in and the proud are out. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, some of us have been bold and brash, a real rebellious pride, and there's no hiding it. And then others of us have had a more subtle pride while being dutiful. Sneaky kind of pride. But all of us are guilty of being far from the Father. We've all been there. We're all wrong, but we're all loved. And we're all called to change our position, to change that position and to draw near to God in Christ. Will we let pride keep us far from the Father's house? You know, I, I think when I, when I listen with spiritual ears and I, and I try to listen to the, the spiritual hearts in our church, sometimes I think I hear the sound of a party going on. There's a party going on because some of you, some of you have humbled yourselves and you've come close to the Father. And there's the joy and, and, the, and the, all the good that comes with being in the, close to the Father. 
But sometimes I listen with others of you, and, and, and I think spiritually there's some of you just kind of kind of huff and puff. Got your arms crossed. And you're keeping yourself far. Your pride is keeping you far from your father's house. You're offended for whatever reason. I plead with you along with the father. I plead with you, humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ. The humble are in and the proud are out. You know, for those of you who have already humbled yourself before Jesus Christ, but maybe you've been acting a little arrogant at the feast, putting yourself in the seat of honor, I just want to tell you, around here, there's only one person who sits in the seat of honor, and that's Jesus Christ. We all, we all need to put ourselves in the lowest spot. We need to think a little less of ourselves around here. Jesus is alone. Jesus alone is the one who holds the seat of honor. Humble yourself before the Lord because God opposes the proud. Guys are going to lead us in some worship right now. And I, I, want us to, I want us to come before the Lord and pray. I want us to align ourselves in a right way with God. And if that means humbling ourselves in some way, then we need to take the action to do that. I would be glad to pray with any of you right here and right now. Those who want to draw near. I love, you know, if this isn't the right time, right place, I'd love to meet with you somewhere else. Just talk, pray with you. But again, don't, don't let this mom, moment get robbed from you because of pride. What will other people think? Don't worry about what other people think. Worry about what God thinks. What does he think of your heart right now? Would you stand with me? And I'll pray. Then we're going to begin singing. Again, if you need prayer, like to talk with myself or Sherry or one of our gel leaders, we'll be up here front. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we just want to say that, that you are the greatest and we are small, that you are infinite and we are finite. You are amazing holy and we're not Lord help us not to reverse things help us not to take your seat and Lord we pray that we might be somehow be able to approach you in a way that we'd be able to see ourselves clearly and that we'd be able to understand how great you are and the mercy that you've given us in Jesus Christ is humbling but it's a good kind of humble a good kind of humble and a good place to be because you're with the contrite of heart you draw close to them Lord we love you minister to this group of people today in this moment Lord we need you we need the cross we know why you died on the cross for us because we're all sinners we're all guilty and the ground is level and we know that we, we come and that you offer forgiveness. We seek it, Lord, in Jesus' name.